What a beautiful and compelling song, amen? Hey, I think a little explanation is in order. For you that were here last week, uh, some of you told me that I woke you up in the service. And then I heard that some babies went a little bit confused on what was happening. And uh, I don't know, maybe there could have been a heart condition set off by the chains rattling. So I decided to tone it down a little bit today, but uh, not all the way down, okay? Any golfers in the room? Any golfers? Losers? I mean golfers. (laughs) Now this is for you. After church one Sunday uh, at First Baptist, somewhere, First Baptist, there's always a First Baptist somewhere, one of the members saw the pastor in the lobby, and he asked this question. He said, uh, pastor, or she said, I don't want to, I know women play golf, sometimes better than men. So the member said, pastor, is it a sin to play golf on Sunday? The pastor paused, and might I say this was a very generous, loving pastor, He said, I've seen you play golf, and it's a sin every day. (laughs) Well, one of the golfers define a mulligan. Anybody want to stand? Anybody want to sit and define a mulligan? Can any golfer define a mulligan? I heard something back there, weak, weak. Maybe it's rattle the chain now. That's a good time. <laughs> a mulligan is kind of a golfer's grace. We talk about grace a lot in this place. A golfer's grace. It's forgiveness. It's a do-over. And how many of you think it'd be a great thing if we had mulligans in real life, not just on the golf course? You see, if we did, you might get something like this. When you're speeding down I-255 or seminary on your way to church even, a policeman, policewoman, a cop pulls you over. They come to your car. You sheepishly roll down your window. And they say, Mulligan! (laughs) Or you're audited by the IRS. And you show up on the day for your appointment. And as you get out of the car and you walk closer to the building, you see a sign over the entrance door, it's Mulligan Day. And you think, there is a God in heaven. Or one evening, you say something hurtful to your spouse, and he or she looks at you and says, I'll give you a mulligan. And would you like that? Well, wake up, dreamer. Because we know life isn't like that. We mess up. We sin. We experience loss in our life. And then what happens? Guilt, not mulligans. And guilt that turns into regret. Just as the song referred to. Regret handicaps us. And we go through life expressing 
would have, could have, should have. The dictionary defines regret this way. To miss very much or to be sorry for. And if I asked you to share some feelings associated with the chains of regret, we probably would hear words such as shame, embarrassment, anger, hurt. And all of these are emotions that are damaging to a healthy life. And God understands this because the Bible has people in it who lived with regret. Think of Jonah, Peter, Judas, King David, to name a few. King David was a man of God, and yet he messed up in a major way. Here he writes in Psalm 38, My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. David was expressing regret for his sin. And by the wording, we see that it's causing him deep emotional pain. Now, I can empathize with King David, not just because I'm named after him, but my personal sin throughout my life, my poor judgments at times in life, and my missed opportunities in life have caused me personally to know regret. And I have felt the emotion of shame and, and hurt because of it. So I want us to consider some general categories of regret. And there's no significance to the order we're going to look at these things. So we start with education. Maybe you regret that you didn't go to college or you didn't go to a trade school or a vocational school. Or you regret not pursuing an advanced degree after your initial four-year degree. Now, this regret about education often leads to the next regret, which is the re regret of career. You regret the career you chose. Many people regret the job they have or the regret that they didn't leave their present job for a different one when they had fewer financial responsibilities and obligations and now they literally feel stuck. Maybe you regret that you didn't get the promotion you were looking for or you didn't apply for the new job that was posted Education, career, any regrets? What about words that we regret? The words that we said or the words we didn't say and should have said? 
Words that were spoken that you can no longer take back. Things that you posted on social media and you wish you hadn't. You can remember the words you said in anger to a spouse or your children or a friend. We can also remember the times you should have said words of affirmation and love to a parent, like the father in the song, or a friend, but it's too late because they're no longer alive. Then there's regret of parenting. You regret spoiling your kids, or you regret not spending enough time with them when they were younger. You regret that you didn't do more to nurture their faith in Jesus. You regret that you didn't encourage them more when they were experiencing life's tough times. You regret being too hard on them. And now that they've grown up, you wonder why they never call or never drop by for a visit. Some people have regrets regarding their faith. You see, these people haven't taken the time to practice some of the disciplines of faith, like prayer. They regret not talking to other people about Jesus. They regret not reading the Bible And here's even worse than that. They regret not even having an interest in reading the Bible. Anybody have any regrets over your parenting or your faith? And then we come to money. You regret going into debt to such an extent that it has caused a tremendous strain on your present budget. You regret that you didn't start saving for retirement earlier in life. You regret that you haven't been generous when it comes to supporting God's work through the church and other ministries. You regret that you used your money down to the very last dime on yourself and your family while giving little thought about helping the poor who live in your community. What about relationships? You regret that a marriage didn't work out. Some of you may live with with regret today because your marriage is in serious trouble and it's on life support. Some of you regret your past involvement in a relationship that you knew full well was a toxic relationship. Any regret over money 
or relationships. One or more of the regrets I mentioned, and there are others out there, one or more have left some scars in our lives. And I want you to take a moment to think about the area in your life where you've experienced the greatest regret. Now, some regrets deal with sin and how it affects us. And that kind of regret should be obvious to us. But there are also regrets that aren't from our sin, but from some personal loss we have experienced. We've lost a friendship. We've lost a sense of purpose for our lives. Or maybe you've lost your health. Whatever it is, you have lost something and you feel regret over it. So I'm going to ask you to do something with me, and I'm going to do it at the same time. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a moment, and we're going to take 20 seconds. I originally had this at 30 seconds, but 30 seconds seems like an eternity with your eyes closed in a room like this. But I trust the Holy Spirit in the 20 seconds that we have our heads bowed or our eyes closed, whatever you want to do, but I want you to tune out everything else. And I want you to mentally identify and ask the Lord to help you, and he can do that in five seconds, let alone 20, where you've experienced your greatest regret. So let's do it right now. Let's take 20 seconds. Somebody has their timer on back there. That's 21, Pastor David. 20 seconds. You see, the first step towards healing when it comes to regret is to identify it. And hopefully, in that little exercise, you begin the process of identifying that greatest regret in your life. The chains of regret are inevitable because we've all messed up, we've all made mistakes, and we've all sinned. We've done things to hurt people, and we've been hurt by people. What would happen if this week we put a sign out on seminary by our entrance, our stone and brick entrance, and it said, faith fellowship is only for perfect people who have no regrets. Anybody know what would happen? That's right. I know what would happen. This place would be empty. Because regrets are inevitable. 
Now, not all of our regrets can be traced back to our sin, whether that sin was at 18 or 28 or whenever it was, or last night. But many of our regrets can be traced back to sin in our lives. Now, the good news is that all our regrets that had their origin in sin are forgivable. And as a pastor, if I could talk about anything, I would want to talk about forgiveness and our need not only to ask and receive forgiveness from God, but our need in turn to forgive other people. I really believe the only path to true peace for you and me is when we say, I am bound by the chains of regret. Would now be a good time? And God, please take them from me. Take them from me. When you pray for his help, God will begin to break the chains of regret and start the process of healing. And it may take months, may take days, weeks, and in some cases, years. But he'll start the process today. The Bible's filled with examples of that from Moses in the Old Testament all the way to Paul in the New Testament. People who had sinned, people who had regrets over the things they had done in their life, but God still used them to do good things for him. You don't have to be a perfect person for God to use you because you can't be. Thankfully, this morning... Jesus is in the business of changing us and not condemning us for what we've done. For God did not send his son into the world. What's the phrase? To condemn the world. Read it with me. But to save the world through him. Do you want to live with freedom? Or be bound by the chains of regret and condemnation? Seems like an easy choice. Seems like a no-brainer. But I can't imagine how many people are in churches all across America this very morning who are bound by the chains of regret. So I want to give you some steps today that I hope will help break your chains of regret. Number one is start by seeking forgiveness from your past. As I said earlier, many of our regrets are because of our past sin. But God doesn't want us to be bound by the chains of regret. He makes forgiveness available to us. We need to see that forgiveness is God's gift. Say it with me. Forgiveness is 
a wonderful gift. God is all about second opportunities. God must be a golfer because he's all about mulligans. Some of you may struggle with guilt feelings over things you've done in the past. You were in college. You were a teenager. But you've confessed those things to God. And you should know that guilt over confessed sins is not from God, but from Satan. That guilt is not from God. That condemnation is not from God. King David, he's known as a man after God's own heart. And he said this, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. What's the phrase? All my guilt is gone. So how many sins did David tell us he confessed to God? Little three-letter word up there. All. How many sins should we confess to God? All. How much of, God, of David's guilt was gone after he confessed his sins? All my guilt is gone. He confessed all his sins and all his guilt was gone. God's promise to you and me, just as it was to David, is that when we confess all our sins, then all our guilt over those sins will be gone. And I say, how great is that? Instead of being bound, you knew it was coming. By the chains of regret, your past can become motivated by what God has in store for you for the future. The Apostle Paul says this, No, Christian brothers and sisters, I do not have that life yet, but I do one thing. I forget everything that is behind me and look forward to that which is ahead of me. That's the second step for breaking the chains of regret. Look ahead and see a picture of the future God has for you. Have you ever tried to picture what the end of your life might look like? And you say, how morbid is that? Well, hang in there with me, will you? I can't think of anything worse than to spend my last days on earth mulling over in my mind and contemplating what might have been. 
Can you imagine being burdened at the end of your days with thoughts of what could have, what should have, what would have been, had I done, and then for each of you, fill in the blank. Had you done this? Had you done that? You see, the world says that to have a meaningful and well-lived life, we must have certain things. We must have position or prestige. We must have power of some nature. We must have money. And we must have an abundance of things that that money can buy. We must have a lot of toys. A bumper sticker from years ago said this. He who dies with the most toys, anybody remember seeing it? Wins. It's kind of a fruitcake idea, isn't it? And I don't know who thought that up and how many toys he or she ended up with, but the truth is, at the end of your life, none of your toys are going to matter even if you have the most. So would you prayerfully look ahead and ask God to help you see the future? And would you like him to give you in the future? Look ahead, ask him. You see, life is too short not to think about the future. How do you know, Pastor David? Well, look at me. I know by experience. But that's not enough. I also not know life is very short, not by the brevity of my life at my age, by what the Bible tells me. That's more important. I base my belief on the word of God, not how I feel. And I trust you do too. The psalmist says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. And then a second, remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. What would you ask God for if you prayed and said, before the end of my life, would you please give me this? What would you ask God for? Would it be a fulfilling, Christ-centered marriage? Would it be for you to personally have a closer relationship with Jesus? Would it be that your children were followers of Jesus Christ? I don't know what it is for you. You don't know what it is for me. But once you know, I challenge you to write it down. And then go to step number three, which is this. Stop and evaluate the current direction of your life. If you know what you want the end of your life to look like, can you honestly say today that my life is headed in the right direction for that to take place.
You see, as we stop and think about the current directions of our lives, we may need, and more than likely we will need, to make some changes. If I were to take a survey and ask people, what's it going to take to head your life in the right direction, I believe the number one answer would be stop putting it off. Some people need to admit their apathy and their laziness when it comes to making changes in their lives. The Proverbs says this, The lazy one says, read it with me, there's a lion outside. Got to read it like that. I will be killed in the streets. Try that with your boss. I really wanted to come to work today, but that lion thing, you know, they're roaming around outside my door. See, God has a sense of humor, and God knows human nature. And so he throws in a most ridiculous thing in here. But it comes down to this. Here's the principle. We will grab at any excuse, even a lion outside our door, to keep us from doing what's really important. We need to quit making excuses and take responsibility for the direction of our lives. I think too many people are not taking the current direction of their lives seriously. And they're going to come to the end of their lives with more regrets than they have now. So when you take these three steps... The only thing left is to go ahead and move forward and pursue God's way. Now, you can move forward, but if you don't pursue God's way going forward, you're, in essence, headed the wrong way. The Bible says there's God's way, and then there's the world's way. And they're very, very different. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And in his reference there is to spiritual destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. The implication is eternal life, and only a few find it. Two very opposite things. When you move forward, make sure you're going God's way. The world's way of doing life, I'm not going to blow smoke in your face or whatever. What, how's the phrase go? Don't use a phrase you don't know how to say. I'm not going to try to deceive you. The world's way of doing life can, 
can look easy, can look exciting. But in fact, my friends, it's a mirage in light of God's eternal truth and reality. By the world's standards, God's way is different. God's way seems hard, seems narrow. But it's the best way. Because as Jesus said, someday it leads us to eternal life with him. I can't end this message this morning without saying something about the worst regret that any human being will ever experience. And this regret will not just last a lifetime, but forever and ever. Because this regret belongs to the people who will be eternally separated from a holy and righteous God. These words from Jesus tell us there are many people who are on this wide superhighway of life and it's leading to destruction. Eventually they're going to die and have the biggest regret of their lives. There'll be no mulligans then. This regret for these people will take place because they will die without confessing their sins to Jesus and thus having him forgive their sins. The Bible is very clear that one day every human being who has ever lived will give an account for all their sin before a holy and perfect God. The Apostle Paul writes that on our own, we don't make the cut because we can never be good enough to meet God's standard. Paul writes in Romans 3.23, Who has sinned? Has Pastor David sinned? Have you sinned? Everyone has sinned. If you've got a problem with that this morning, you better talk to God. Don't see me in the lobby. This is God's word to us today as a warning, a loving warning. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. The only one who was able to pay the price for our sin was the only one who has ever lived a perfect, sinless life, that being Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for your sin, for my sin, by his death on the cross. And he offers us forgiveness and that wonderful gift of eternal life. In Romans 6, 23, Paul writes, When people sin, they earn what sin pays. Again, eternal death. 
But God gives his people a free gift, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The biggest regret that any man or woman here today, the biggest regret you can have is to live your life without asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and consequently then you will miss out on being a part of God's forever family in heaven with him someday. Don't deceive yourself. Don't let the enemy of your soul lie to you and put into your mind that all is right between you and God because you grew up in a Christian home. You had a Christian grandmother. You had a God-fearing father or mother. Don't let the devil deceive you because you come to church regularly that all is right with you and God. Don't let the devil deceive you that because you are a moral person that all is right between you and God. Those are wonderful things. Those are good things. And I commend you on those things. But they are not enough. There has to come a time that you, 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 make a personal decision to say something like this. And you don't have to say this, but you can say something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. And so I confess my sins to you. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Help me live for you from this moment on. Paul writes, God makes people right with himself by going to church regularly, by being raised in a Christian home, by being a moral person. Whatever you want to put in there, it's not what Paul said. He makes us right with himself through what? Their faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for all who believe in Christ from 2,000 years ago when it was written on up today because all people are the same. All people are the same because all people need Jesus to forgive them of their sins. God has made it possible for you to break the chains of regret. No matter how those chains of regret came into your life, And so I beseech you, I beg you. Can't do it for you, but I lovingly want it for you. Accept his offer of forgiveness and be made right with him today. And thus you'll be right with him forever. You see, this is what God wants for you. He's not a condemnation, God. He wants you to be saved. He loves you. And if God wants it for you, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? Do it today. Lord God, we thank you that you're not a God of condemnation, 
You're not a God of meanness and spitefulness. You're a God who loves us. And Lord, we carry the chains of regret. We're bound by the chains of regret, oftentimes over our past sins. And oftentimes there are other reasons. But today, we're going to accept what you've said through your word, and we're going to begin the process of seeing those chains of regret break from us. It may take a week, a month, maybe longer, but today is the day we begin to say, with God's help, there are no more regrets. And Lord, if there's someone here who's not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to face the greatest regret of all. And I pray that doesn't happen. I pray they accept Jesus, ask him for his forgiveness of their sins, and the guilt of those sins will be replaced by forgiveness and freedom. Thank you that you're a loving God. Thank you that you want to love us into your own arms today. And we say, Jesus, we love you. And I ask right now that you will seal this in our hearts and bless the people before me as they go about their week. Call them to a closer walk with Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you next week.